internal war, the real revolutions inside our own door. So better than a thousand is one who's not weak. And like the ocean is steady and clear fathoms deep. And better than a thousand is a soul who won't run. Better than a thousand, give me just one. Should we kick it? Should we kick yeah. it? We? Yo, welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are generally discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. But seems that we got another detour. Today, we brought a friend on to talk about some other things, maybe maybe some Rev-related things, maybe some non. Jason... Do you want to kick it, or should we just just cut right to it? What do you think? I'll go ahead and kick it. Yeah, kick it. Ah, today we have the pleasure of being joined by Oasey from End Hits Records. Uh, generally, just to kick it, to hang out and talk <laughs> hardcore, and I'm excited so about if we it. Played, if we played a drinking game right now, with how many times we've said "kick it" in the first minute, people would already be drunk. You're on edge watch, dude. Yeah, we got about. I mean, I don't. In. Drinking yeah. coffee. Take a drink of coffee, and then we're yeah. Jason's going to be just, nervous Nelly. Oh, God. We don't need nervous Nelly salsa. back. Oisey, what's going on, dude? How are you? Pretty good. What uh, time is it over there in Germany? Easy. It's 5.20 p.m., so mm-hmm. I'm just impressed again how you manage to get up. Each time we talk, you seem to get up at 7 a.m.-ish, 8 a.m.-ish. Yeah, this is oh, he's 8, up early. This is 8 a.m. for me. I've been up for over two hours, already had uh, half a pot of coffee, a smoothie, red stream my bug of a tom, and cleaned a little bit and enough. I mean, time. you've had you've had band practice at this time. <laughs> yeah, usually right? my band practice is at seven a.m. Yes. on Sundays, but Dude, we had band practice last night. I had to wake up. I woke up at nine a.m. to an alarm. Oh, rough! I didn't get home from band practice till almost eleven p.m. and then I woke up at six p.m. or six a.m. this morning. And just enough time to, you know, talk about four walls falling and uh, <laughs> other other things with my friends in the morning. Because you know what? As a great poet once said, we're all here because we love hardcore. <laughs> That's right. I love hardcore so much that because yesterday I went to see the great Lebowski in the driving cinema. That I got oh, nice. at 5 a.m. to work the early shift at the hospital, and I'm not napping now because I love hardcore so much. Ah, so, wait, you saw the, the Big Lebowski in the movie theater? Yeah, it was great. <laughs> that's that's my like number three favorite film of all time. It's got to be in the top five of all time. Do you do you get offended by their portrayal of nihilists? No, as a they're German. The, the Germans are actually so accurate. Zilligen <laughs> 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 berry pancakes. That's one of my favorite <laughs> scenes in there. When it's when so they're good. in the diner and the girl has to tell him that she wants what she say, Fafen Aufkuchen, and he's <laughs> trying to translate. <laughs> the Pfannkuchen. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Like I feel very well rep- represented. Like. It's actually a more accurate representation of the Germans than uh, Saving Private Ryan. So I'm fine with Big Lebowski. I'm good. It's just such a, it's such a, um, it's such a great movie. Like, and it's is like the a, money Lebowski. It, 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 it's one of those ones that, um, 
it's one of those ones that like it 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 uh, has um it doesn't some things i think have diminishing returns but i feel like this one has like like exponential gains like every time you watch you kind of find something else that's funny or interesting and uh it's just great the the casting and acting it's like watching spinal tap it gets better each time yeah Boise, you know i i hey not to shift gears here Shift. I figured I figured we'd shift, yeah, shift and talk about that was just another episode of um the big Lebowski podcast. Yeah, welcome, welcome to Lebowski Talk. <laughs> <laughs> we this is your second time on our podcast. The first time was for a Patreon only episode where we talked about Fugazi, right? Dag nasty. That's right. I get I get that my, was one of I our get, most popular. I get my challenges. Mixed up. <laughs> that was one of our most popular Patreon episodes. I we had a lot of feedback on that. Yeah, um, and you know what? Yeah. Uh, I work out with a strength coach on Wednesdays, and she always has Spotify playing, and she has this like dad punk playlist playing that's got like TSOL and Minor Threat, and then every time a Dag Nasty song comes on, and I'm always like. This is not getting me pumped right now to work out, you guys. Come on. I still can't believe it. <laughs> I really can't. <laughs> I have, but I respect and that's, it. That's the only time that I've listened to Dag Nasty since you guys forced me to listen to every. But Dag you know Nasty what's funny? Song. I would go, I would play Farside, and after Farside um, rigged stopped, what would come on was would always be Dag Nasty afterwards. Oh, that's weird. It, it I, comes on after a lot, like Ice Burn. When I was listening to the new the new Ice Burn, uh-huh. then all of a sudden a song from Wig Out at Denko's came on after it ended. Um, and it comes on after the new Quicksand. After I play that start to finish, then it'll yes, also pop up sense. after that. Jason, how often is a Far Side song stuck in your head in, in life? Ah, uh, Fairly, fairly often. Not that often. For me, I would say, you. especially since the past couple months, at least twice a week in the morning, I'll have a Far Side song stuck Popeye's in my head. Popeye's got good lyrics. And, the, and guitar licks, too. Yes, sometimes. True. But, Oisey, what I wanted to know, you've talked to us about um, being able to see some of these bands, but how did you discover... Not just hardcore, but the reason why we're doing this podcast, Revelation Records. Like, what was your, what was your moment where someone, you know, gifted you the the presence of hardcore? Oh wow! So we got to paddle way back because yeah, when the whole thing. I grew up in a tiny village in the middle of Bavaria, so we are talking three hundred people and twice as many cows and pigs. So that's kind of the scenario where we kind of- Like sound of music shit. <laughs> it's literally like- <laughs> Did you guys know that that's in, that's in my top three favorite movies of all time? Uh, but including I think my favorite still- soundtrack. Yes, it is the Alps. But anyway, sorry, the hills are alive really in Bavaria. Small, the small rural environment. And um, as you guys, like we're probably all the same age, no internet at that point, very limited media, hard to get anything. But um, I was lucky and my neighbor was into hair metal and hard rock music. So at an early age, I got exposed to that, like at eight and nine years old. So did they, did they have like cassettes of like 
warrants and kicks. And I was going to say, stuff. let's let's talk a little, just a little bit about that stuff because it's it interesting. Had, <laughs> like what they had was like they had taped copies of Iron Maiden stuff that was like going there, like stuff that was kind of, you know, a real Bon Jovi records. There were like obviously Scorpions and all the German bands, Halloween, Keep Off the Seven Keys, except. So that's kind of what tripled into the forest at that point. And then we got really into that, my brother and I and the neighbors, we got really into that, you know, rock music, <laughs> for a lack of better term. And uh, we tried always to look for something more extreme and something better. And um, my teacher's son was almost my age. And at some point he called us up and he's like, guys, I have a record that's, you won't believe it. The song is only one second long. We were like, we couldn't believe it. We couldn't get our head around it, you know? Because at that point, Wehrmacht, Biermacht was the craziest thing we ever heard, or Slayer. So we jumped on our bikes. We rode our bikes for 45 minutes through the forest to get to his house. Like, it literally took us that long. Wow. That's like some Stranger Things shit. (laughs) (laughs) Take it for one second song. (laughs) What he pulled out was Napalm. Napalm Death. Yeah. Um. And we sat there and we listened to the song, I think, for 40 or 50 times. Because <laughs> he wasn't spent exchange, a whole minute with that song. He was an exchange student in the UK at that point. He was there for a few weeks and he brought that back. And he had a friend who started um, sending him more tapes. And then shortly after Napalm Death, uh, Youth of Today came in. And that was the first revelation thing that we heard. Because mm. it was almost almost as good as Napalm. <laughs> was that break down the walls? I can't even remember what he mm. taped. I think just the youth of today. It must have been because soon after we discovered a mail order called Lost and Found. Yes, had. I wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that with you. And uh, there was another one um, that you know has since then, you know, diminished and. Um, the other one was called Frontline, and Frontline was kind of from the west of Germany, and uh, they were the first ones that had T-shirts. So we discovered it was like a, co- a copy and pasted sheet, and uh, it had three shirts. It had a seven-second shirt, it had a Bad Religion shirt, and a NoFX Monsters shirt. <laughs> so we got together, and everybody that was into punk in the village ordered those three shirts. Mm. And um, soon after that, Lost and Found came in and that opened up, you know, the universe to us. Um, Is Lost and Found from Germany? Yeah, they were like somewhere in the middle of nowhere from Germany. Oh, crazy. Um, Yeah, uh, so there's a... (laughs) The strain, I was going to say the strain record, Bomb Wiedemark. (laughs) Wow. Another thing that happened... um, in Stuttgart, there was a label called Rebite. I think we touched on it on a nasty episode. Yeah. And they started licensing um, Revelation Records releases. L- licensing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and those, those Rebite records look cool. And they also licensed their logo from Touch and Go a little bit, huh? <laughs> no, that's what oh, that's found. found. And then we bite took the schism logo, right? Yeah. No, I thought I thought we bite was bones. Isn't it bones that spell out we bite? Uh, I don't have yeah. any stuff okay. from we there. Bite but... was kind of bonish, yeah. But then yeah. Yeah. is it teeth? Yeah. 
Okay. That would make I sense. That. I yeah. have a bottle bracket. <laughs> After Gorilla Biscuits, we buy copy. So at that point, like that's how we got introduced to Revelation Records. And there was like a youth center um, in a town called Sweezel, 15-minute car ride. And we just started going there. And for some reason, some of those dudes, they just were like tapping into, you know, everything. They had cross records, extreme noise terror. And uh, even, you know, one of those guys showed up with the Embrace tape. And the funny thing is that I think Javier brought that up. Like sometimes you listen to something and you totally don't know what it's influenced by, but you really love that one thing. And that's what happened to us because only weird things came into that, you know, what, what do you want to call it? Like it was like so isolated and only a few things came into that isolated world. And we really, really ducked those things that came in and we're absolutely clueless about everything else out there. Mm. So weird weird things we loved and weird things we didn't know about but should have known about <laughs> yeah and those especially in the mid 90s those lost and found because they did a lot of compilations right and there was some weird stuff on those compilations and like weird choices of kind of like what i would consider the like b and c team youth crew stuff uh unit pride and like uh, some of those ones that weren't the weren't the top tier, and then uh, like Rikers, yeah. and you know strange stuff like that, where it's like that was my how I was exposed to some of those things that I, I wouldn't have seen otherwise if I hadn't have seen those. Because it was before everything was being reissued. Yeah, you know, like like that was the only way you could hear a lot of the out of print stuff was lost and found. They'd have those CDs of like. You know, like you said, Unit Pride, like, you know, Igby, Mankind ended up doing a really nice uh, collection of Unit Pride. But for the longest time, the only way you could hear it was that like purple CD. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned Igby because in 96, Igby was involved with a record store here in Orange County, North Orange County called On The Edge Records that had also Chris from a band called Bonesaw which I believe also appeared on a lost and found record. And they had all of those lost and found CDs. They had like the three inch CDs of some of those bands. And like, that was the first integrity record that I ever purchased was the lost and found hooked lung, stolen breath, cunt CD. Um, Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Which was like a great compilation, I believe to this day. What was on that? It's basically those who fear tomorrow and in contrast of sin. And then some like, extra stuff and as a kid i didn't know that this this guy was this lost and found company was doing some sketchy stuff it wasn't until ignite really went on their like super tirade against lost and found and they would put out like flyers about it and have interviews about it and they went hard against it and i guess what had happened was lost and found took one of the ignite records remixed it put it like different ordering and just like put it out and didn't really even tell ignite they're just like well here's this ignite record that you know they and it took ignite a long time to get like the master reels back and they wanted money and like all this weird stuff but at the time it was just like cool there's another ignite record or there's another integrity record or well, whatever it's funny the, the 108 threefold misery was a legit 
Yes. Lost and Found release. Like they had some like that. They and did three records on Lost and Found. That's right. Cause the live one there's and the two live instance, there's, Well, right? there's two live ones. So, so then there's four, four then? Yeah. There's uh threefold misery, curse of instinct. And then there's a live one. That's like a full length. And then there's like a four or five song live one too. I forget the names of those ones, but it's like, uh, it, it's yeah. I mean, back then you like, people were so upset with lost, lost and found for mm -hmm. many good reasons, but people also forget how, Lost and Found and We Bite, with, despite all the sketchiness and horrible things they did, just distributed music to places that would have never found out about it. Yes. Yep. There's a reason why Battery was the biggest band in Europe. Yeah. And they, at that point, Brian could probably confirm that they might have not even played two shows in the US. You know what I mean? Like they were the reason why Slapshot was still a band and drew a thousand people why nobody even knew anymore who they were. Like so many stories of bands that went to Europe and had amazing shows and played big venues. I mean, they also broke sick of it all, you know, with the big, with their life in a world full of hate record. Like that's what really made sick of it all a big band in, in, in Europe with that very, very well distributed live CD. So I want to give them credit, <laughs> despite them being scumbags, but that's what opened our universe to a lot of stuff. And how were they involved in, in hardcore? Like, were they putting on shows or were they doing anything or were they just pressing and distributing records at that point? That's the weird thing. I don't think they were like, he was involved in a very early scene. Like if you want to go really back, trust, magazine was like one of the first fan scenes that came out in Europe. And they were super involved with the Italian hawker scene, Negazione and uh, Raw Power. And I think he was part of that early trust magazine posse. So he was there and at some point he became a businessman. It's kind of a little bit the same story uh, with uh, Ed from Good Life. It's or like Tony Victory. Yeah, <laughs> where people, <laughs> you know, are involved in the scene and then they have a good business sense. And then they turn into horrible moguls, like 1870 British factory owning capitalists. <laughs> yeah. So it's been like one of those stories. But um, on the other hand, it just helped build that subculture massively. Like that's, that's what, uh, you know, brought hardcore like uh, to the masses back then. Mm -hmm. is, is he still, um, is, is he still around? Like, he was around for a while, like he was turning it into a clothing kind of company. Like you could order like funny shirts, like I'm 30, give me a hand and help me over the street kind of thing. You know, sure, love those. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. Because like, I swear I've seen a Discog seller selling like hardcore yeah. stuff overseas that's lost and found. Yeah. But I don't still, know if he's selling test presses. He yeah, I mean, okay. just in recent memory, I remember them selling Threefold Misery and Songs of Separation test presses on eBay for like 30 bucks, like mm -hmm. very affordable. And I'm, I'm sure their test press, like there was a, a disembodied record that got pressed by Good Life also. And they just made a hundred white, white label records. And they're like, these are test presses. But like it was just a regular pressing of a hundred white labels, so they they were able to sell them for a little bit more. But 
um, anyway. And then, Oise, you started – what year did you start going to hardcore shows? I mean, the first one – like, there were local bands. One was called United Forces. <laughs> they were great. And um, then one of the guys had a car, which was a big deal because, remember, we were, like, so far removed from everybody. Even driving to Munich took us over two hours. Just drive one hour through the woods – and then you end up on a freeway and then you had to drive another one and a half hours. And um, one of the guys finally got his driving license and that was like, you know, all hell broke loose for us at that point. And the first show I got to see like with an American band was Agnostic Front on the One Voice Tour. Um, and it was super sketchy, obviously. Oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah, but that's a, cool, that's a cool era of Agnostic Front. That's like, to me, that was like the last... Like they're still fun to see, but um, musically, that like recording wise, that's the last. Like that's kind of my line in the sand. I mean, for... at that point, also like they had Greg ahead in the band, and uh, when I tour managed sick of it all a few years later, uh, we we got into it. But when we showed up at that venue, um, we went in there, and Germany had a huge big Nazi skinhead problem at that point. Obviously, I think it was pretty widely spread and. So we go into that venue and a bunch of Nazis roll in and they just fuck with everybody. And I'm like 14 years old. I'm wearing braces, you know, and <laughs> I'm this teeny tiny skinhead punk. So I'm the skinheads roll in, they beat the shit out of everybody. And then, um, you know, Roger from Agnostic Front starts fucking with them. And the roadie, and I later found out that Lord Isaac from Crown of Thorns jumped down and he had a sock with a, with no, with a, with a pool. Yeah. It's, ca it's called the sock of death. So he had a sock of death and he went down there and he beat, like he hit the biggest skinhead over the head and the guy just fell. And you know, when people are bleeding out of their ears, you know, they have like a, a, a big, that's a huge fracture. To have. And then he just beat the shit out of all those Nazi skinheads by himself. Lord Isaac uh -oh. kicked them out. Dude, mad and respect to Isaac for that. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is happening? I couldn't believe what I got into. Like, it was wild. And uh, I thought I'm not going to go to one of those shows anymore. And then a few weeks later, I think No Means No and Sheer Terror played a show together. <laughs> because Europe, you know, people like those tours cross paths. And we went yeah. to that show. And that was the first time I met Americans because outside of the bands, because uh, that was in Schweinfurt. You know, when we talked about the nasty record, the Grafenwur shirt that the guy's wearing, the heavy yeah. metal background. So all in Schweinfurt, they had all those American bands stationed there. Oh, sorry, American soldiers stationed there. And they came to those punk and hardcore shows. And that made it super crazy, super violent but also super exciting because we met those guys and they brought more music in. Like that was another a big thing for us because they could get stuff shipped to the army bases um, for free, basically, because they were soldiers. And that's when we got hooked up with all the music. It must have been around 93-ish, I think, 94-ish probably. 92, 93, in that period. Do you, okay. feel, do you feel like having to get stuff like that makes you appreciate music more because I feel like, you know, you don't want to say like these kids today, but I think about like, you know, 
now you don't really have to like live with something. You can just like go onto Spotify and if someone says, Hey, check out, you know, I'm looking at the shelter, like check out shelter and they can like poke around and be like, I don't like this, you know? And I feel like a lot of people do that. People that I know, maybe some people even in this chat seem to probably go and listen to a few seconds and, write stuff off i don't know maybe hav do you do that do what i'm sorry (laughs) you lost me anyway do you think it's made you appreciate stuff more that you like you had to like really seek it out um and you know yeah and you know what i always talk about is like how we were kind of forced to consume albums or seven inches and not just like, here's a song or here's a track or here's a preview of a song. It's like, you have to, you have to digest the whole ashes seven inch or the whole four walls falling 12 inch. I mean, what I gotta say about it, like we appreciate the little things that ended up in our tiny ass village, the things that made it in there. We appreciate it it's so much like it, even if it was not that great <laughs> the fact that it that we discovered it and made it made us like so psyched about it right to this day i have the weirdest favorite records by bands because that's the one i could get you know and that's the only one i listened to and the only one i could listen to and also when we got a fan scene you know when we got something in our hands like we held on those were like treasures to us like if you got your ha- a hand on a good U.S. fan scene, like that was like photocopied to all your friends, a million tapes made and just shared around. And uh, it was just like very, we were very appreciative of the whole thing. Like yeah, we, we're spoiled here, honestly. Like yeah. we, like we really are. I think about how like, you know, how many times I'm sure we've all like passed on going to a show just been like ah, i've seen this band whereas like people in other countries are like oh my god you could have seen blah 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 you know and you stayed yeah, home I, instead i did and a, like, I, I did alone a in a crowd with, at the church yeah right yeah we jason i, <laughs> I did an interview last week with a, another podcast called ill street news and we were talking about shows that i went to here in orange county and then i sent the guy tim a flyer last week of like oh yeah here's the show that we were talking about and he's like man you were so spoiled and i'm like this was just a tuesday night for me like this was i could have skipped this show and just been like i'll see you guys later at del taco or something like it wasn't that important but now looking back (laughs) brian just i was gonna say i i I wanted to weird we we have a special surprise guest our friend i always see um, we, we were talking Hi. battery, we were talking battery and you were, you were uh, extrapolating, uh, whether or not like, you know, cause we were talking about how big battery was over there. And, yeah. uh, I was like, well, why don't we just hit up Listen, the source? There were the source. seven re- battery releases on lost and found records. Okay. Seven. Yeah. That's wild for it. Like, I, I don't think I've ever. I, if you put all of the that, releases of all of the bands I've been together in one, it's barely that. Until the end, is that possible? I just looked on. I was actually on the Lost and Found uh, Discogs page here. Let me let me read it to you. Uh, honestly, I think, okay. I think 
there's at least so, three or five more that Brian never heard about. Yeah, so uh, there's there's a CD called the EP Collection. Uh, okay. Let the past go. We won't fall. Uh, looks like a picture disc. Until the okay. end CD. Until the end picture disc. Let the past okay. go. CD EP. Only Owned the diehard right. remain CD. Only the diehard remain picture disc. And okay. first in 1993 was the We Won't Fall CD EP. Owned it, picked yeah, it up at the Safari yeah. Club. <laughs> the, the, the We Won't Fall CD is the CD that, that, that I was not consulted on. And I did, literally didn't know about it until I walked into Vinyl Link one day in Silver Spring. And I'm like, what the hell is this battery CD? When I pulled it off. The upside down batteries on the cover. <laughs> the weird hanging... And I swear to God that up until like two years ago, I was under the assumption that that was a bootleg. And only recently did my brother say, no, actually, we just told you that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, incredible. To the point or to the question that Greg had, the fact that Battery, out of all those bands, made it to Europe, made it to Germany, played every youth center, Every yes. girl, every squad there was. Oh yeah, like the appreciation that we had for for a band like Battery, that probably not a lot of people heard about in the US at that point, and made them one of the biggest hardcore bands, right, in Europe. Like, undoubtedly. yeah, I mean, well, the thing that's weird is that we're definitely bigger in Europe, but I think that um, by the time that Until the End came out, I mean, it wasn't that long when we did that. Um, 10 yard fight eyelid tour in the U S that was like a fucking awesome tour. Were any of you guys at any of those shows, Jason? Yeah, I was. I'm sure Jason, yeah. you know, I, I, I do you want to talk about passing. There was that show on that tour in, and you played at, I think it was in fairless Hills PA with better than right. a thousand. It was like the second better than a thousand show. And right. I'm, I was, I think 16, but I didn't drive. And I just didn't make an, I could have probably made an effort to go because Fearless Hills is like 30 minutes from me and right. I made no effort to go. And I still regret it because I've, I've never seen battery. Oh, um, wow. Cause like you guys did that and then did the rev tour and like the rev tour uh, was when Robbie red cheeks was booking at the YWCA right. And that place right, was cool. Right, right. And that was yeah. literally the one show. Again, I must not have had a ride or whatever. And I didn't go to the Rev tour. And, well, uh, the, the, the interesting thing about Lost and Found in that era was for Battery, they did a really good job. I mean, like when we put out Until the End in Europe, I, every single show I had interviews, every single show there was press. They, every town we went to, there were ads and magazines. I mean, the, you know, I have never seen a royalty <laughs> or a, you know, I've never seen, I don't think they're like straight up people, but in terms of like what we wanted, which was like kids at the shows, knowing the words and, and to be able to travel and meet people. I mean, to be quite honest, they, they did a pretty fucking good job. And, um, I nothing against Rev, but when we put out whatever it takes, it was a stark contrast in 
promotion and in exposure. And it was like it in Europe, it was like it never even came out essentially, you know, I and noticed kind of that too as, as, as a fan, like when it kind of just came out, like, cause that was the first battery I heard because it was on rev. So right, for me, it was like, right. Oh, this is a new, new thing on rev. And it was, uh, you might've, your record might've come out at the same time as like, did the damnation come out the same time? Like, did they do it that way? Or was the same year? Uh, it was, a, I can't, I can't remember. So the interesting thing about battery is that, um, I was just not involved outside of showing up and singing, you know what I mean? Like that was Ken's thing, you know, like it's funny cause with be well and ashes and Milltown and everything, I was so involved with the art and the shows and the labels and with battery. I don't think that I, I never even once in my life had a conversation with lost and found. I didn't, didn't talk to Jordan until, you know, the rev tour really. I mean, it was, it was just, I just was like, sweet, <laughs> we're going to fucking play. I'm going to get up and we're going to do this. So it was a weird time. But I think Oisey was, I think that really were Battery and Ignite the only bands that were like on Lost and Found? I think I like, so. Yeah. And 108, we said 108. Lost and Found. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they right. had a bunch of, like, then they had a hundred Euro bands. Right. <laughs> like uh, Crivets. The Krivitz, then the Rikers, the Rikers were on Lost and Found. Uh, Lost and Found put out this record. Brian, you may have heard of it. Um, something Threefold Misery. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that one. <laughs> Again, let's say, to this day, to this day, Victor Victacara says that that is the... Um, one record he's done that he likes the he's it sound, happy with the way it, it sounds came great. Out. I gotta say it. Yeah. It sounds like you know when you listen to it, the recording was done really well, and I, yes. I really love listening. To yeah, it. whoever recorded that was a real really knew what they were doing. <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't know. I wouldn't know that. Uh, fun fact. Fun fun thing about threefold misery too really was I, to this day I had never seen it before and I've never seen it again. Victor Cara playing guitar in the studio lights down going off like it's a fucking no inside out at the unisound you know what i mean like <laughs> so intense and and spooky and wonderful and like not surprisingly you can feel that in that record you know the thing about being that age with that is that i knew enough to not fuck it up you know what i mean mm. <laughs> to just kind of get out of the way and let the magic happen uh, so, so I got a, I, oh, I got go a little lost uh, one or eight thing and lost and found. So at that point, which brings us back to, you know, how that time was for us. We I found a scene or I got my hand on a scene that had the one or eight tour dates on it, and I was like, yeah, great. They're playing this club near Munich, uh, Ballroom Esterhogen. Battery played there a thousand times. So right. I was like, all right, I'm gonna go there. None of my friends wanted to go. Because they, I don't know. So I just got my license. I drove two and a half hours one way. And it was like an old Bavarian restaurant, Wirtshaus, like this old Bavarian thing. And it had this club attached to it. So it was super freaky. So I show up and everything's dark. And I'm like, something's wrong here. It's odd. And I walk around the building, nobody's there. So I walk into the Bavarian beer house. 
and it's like five dudes playing cards, being grumpy, like very German. I'm like, is there a show tonight? And they're like, it's no show. Like, what are you talking about? Like, uh, so I walk back to the car, I grab the scene and the scene was one and a half years old. So I drove to the show one year late. <laughs> oh my God. That is amazing. <laughs> That's oh amazing. no! So like that is, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's how pre-internet how we were from everything. Like, and it was such a pain to get there without directions. Like, it took me probably oh my god two days of traveling, going to a show that happened a year ago. So, See, and I thought amazing. I was bad for getting the times wrong for my brunch with uh, our friend John Backlash. Bit of Bojan backlash. Bit of Bojan, sorry. Um, so, Oisey, speaking of labels, I, one of the reasons, apart from the fact that we just love talking with you, I wanted to learn a little more about end hits because I I think it end hits probably came onto my radar around the time of uh, the Bane, uh, the final Bane record. Mm-hmm. But I guess if you could just kind of talk about like, the, the start of, of the label. Um, and obviously he took the name from the Fugazi record. Yep. Bit about our Fugazi challenge. That's hey, really, really, really quick, not to interrupt, but did you got, have you guys ever listened to that band Splain podcast? No, yeah, I think so. I think Jason I checked probably out. has Jason's like yeah, our big. pod, uh, guru. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, it was the Fugazi one was really interesting. Actually. It was, uh, it was interesting. Were any I'll of the Fugazi of, members li- on there or no? No, 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 no. It was like um, just two people talking about, you know, going through the whole catalog kind of. But it was it was it was interesting because like some of it was like not factually correct. OK, but but it was it was interesting hearing like non-seen people kind of. Talking, you know, about. Yeah, like kind of morphing like minor threat and fugazi into the same like right yeah i don't know anyway sorry to interrupt but they they <laughs> they were kind of negative about end hits and it made me a little protective of boise so that's ah. <laughs> <laughs> talking shit on me yeah they were talking shit <laughs> <laughs> so um, like every hawker kid i had a small label in the 90s already called dancing in the dark and i put out a bunch of after springsteen uh, uh, song named after okay. Springsteen. Song. I was actually going to make a joke that it was named after that, but it, it was really was. Bit of bow to the boss. Yeah. <laughs> so I put a bunch of stuff out. Local bands. Uh, Richmond. Shout out to our man Tim Berry. I I punished Tim Berry to put out his first record. Oh, awesome! His first solo record. So I punished him like uh, for a long time and, until he let me release that. And at some point, like I just put out records and had no idea what I was doing. I was super enthusiastic, but I pressed stuff and then I was just lost. I didn't know how to do press. I didn't know how to get it distributed. You know, I traded some stuff. The 90s, you still traded with other labels. Steve Aoki still owes me $200 worth of records, by the way. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> Javier. Right. Hit, up, right. hit up your old roommate. Yeah. yeah. Tell your roommate he owes me two hundred dollars. <laughs> so two hundred Deutschmarks or Deutschmarks. <laughs> I, and I think he I think he can afford it. He could afford it. So at that point I was just like at some point at the early two thousands, I had all these CDs 
sitting around in records. And I was like, I didn't know how to get rid of them. So I was like, I'm just going to quit for a while. And um, I started touring in the 90s with a band called Boys It's Fire from Newark, Delaware. And that's how I became a tour manager. And, um, and at some point, I think it's lost on a lot of people in the States how big Boys It's Fire are in Europe or in Germany specifically. Yeah. How did yeah. you get hooked up with them too? Um, it just, the, I had friends at a booking agency called Avocado Booking. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I had a driver's license and I was willing to travel and not get paid. So I started touring with their bands. Like I think my first tour was with a band called Essak from Florida. Oh, oh shit. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. That was the first tour you did? Yeah. And then Reversal of Man, which had shared members with them, was the second tour I did. And then I did Botch. Botch was my third tour. Botch on the We Are the Romans tour. Uh, oh. I spent like nine weeks touring around Europe. And, and were uh, you selling merch also and driving or were you just driving? Driving, selling merch. For Botch, I was flipping the lights on and off. <laughs> okay, okay. I never heard the band before in my life. And they're like, can you do this? And I'm like, I, I guess. And I just at random parts. I just flipped. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah, here when they did when they played here, John Pettibone would tour with them and he was the lights guy. And actually, their light show was so crazy that I had a friend go into an epileptic seizure watching the band, fell on the floor, and because all the like the strobes and stuff affected him so badly. Watch my brother can't wild. My brother can't do the strobes I was, either. I was Dude, your say, brother did the strobes, right? I think Damnation played with strobe they, lights. They, they, uh, they, I, they, they had lights, but now he can't go to shows that have strobes because okay. of his uh, he gets seizures yeah, yeah. So, sorry to interrupt great no, no, appreciate I, this i was gonna say the same thing brian i was like oh mike mike can't like i've been to shows with him where he's kind of got to like step Leave. aside and sit down uh yeah yeah tell him to knock it on the time machine and travel back to germany in 1997 because i don't want to kill my idol <laughs> yes they have so, warnings now if they have warnings on the outside of uh shows that use strobe lights greg you'll appreciate this when i saw the goo goo dolls they had warnings well, see they're whoa. good they're good good buffalo guys well, we didn't okay. have warnings i can tell you that much we didn't have warnings okay and, i digress at some point they asked me if i want to drive the band boys it's fire and uh i did it and I just started out, you know, doing the, you know, what, what you do, sell merch, drive, do everything. And then we got really good friends on that tour and um, I kept touring with them. And then they opened up for a well and sick of it all and other bands. And they were like, those guys have a tour manager. Do you want to be the tour manager? I was like, I guess so. Like, I don't know what a tour manager is. And they're like, you figure it out. Like, I figured it out eventually. And that's how we got hooked up. And that's how the whole thing started for me. And it's been my job until like one and a half years ago. So um, was that the first end hits record was voice that's fire. Um, almost it was like, so I got to pedal back a tiny little bit. So I was like, at some point boys, it's fire, their drummer quit. And the drummer was doing all the management work, if you want to call it like that. Right. They were kind of in limbo about how to operate. And uh, I was like, I could fill that position for you guys. And I was like, because they were assigned to so many labels and it never worked. Like they were like, it was always, you know, something was happening. The right. Victory to wind up to 
EVR. It was always one-offs. And I was like, I can help you guys do that. And I want to help you guys with that. But because I knew you could never sign them to a label again because they're just, they don't operate like that. They can't be signed to Century Media or anything like that, you know, just too complicated. And so I had this label and it's where I thought I'm going to put out seven inches. I wanted to create this seven inch series, um, like kind of something like what Simple Machines did back then. And I had this great grandiose plan and I talked to Strike Anywhere and Seeing Red and all those bands and everything fell through. <laughs> but I had the name and the logo. And then I was, I have this thing, I, I like the name. And then I approached Boys It's Fire and I was like, all right, these guys, they need a real label in Europe. Like they need distribution. The record needs to be available. Right. And that's when I talked to my friend Mirko at Uncle M Promo that still works for us to this day. He worked with Brian on the Be Well record. And um, he introduced me to Cargo Records who are distributing Sub Pop and SST and uh, Secretly Canadian and all those things in Europe. And that's how End It started. So Poison's Fire wasn't the first release, but it was when the label became a serious thing. And yeah, that's cool. the problem. I, at that point, I kind of knew what I was doing and I knew how to get rid of all those records and CDs. <laughs> Yeah, because Boy Sets Fire, you know, they're from, like you said, they're from Delaware. So they're yeah. from right by me. And they're fairly popular locally. But I remember just hearing about how big they are in Europe. It's like, crazy. it's like they play like giant festivals <laughs> and I see like people going nuts and then they would play here and it would be like, you know, people be into it, but not like. That. Like they draw for a headlining show in Cologne, Germany, up to 4,000 people. See, I always call, David, I call him the David Hasselhoff of hardcore. Like <laughs> <laughs> super popular in Germany. So what this started and I was like, all right, I like doing this. And we, you know, the record charted in Germany. We had a top 10 album charts, you know, not just rock or alternative charts. We had like a top 10 record with the Boys It's Fire reunion record at that point and I was like all right what's next and so we were on tour with Bane and they were like they're so like Brian knows he worked with them for many years they are very lazy about recording and I think at that point the note was out for seven years or more probably okay yeah it was out for so long and they were like yeah we maybe want to call it a day and maybe record a seven inch and I was like guys, no one cares about the fucking seven inch. You got to do an album, got to do a great album. So I punished them for a while. And that was like one of the next, um, and it's releases. And that put us on the map a little bit more internationally because Boys It's Fire already did two, but that was very focused on Austria, Germany, and Switzerland. And then Bain was like, yeah. Next. And obviously yeah. Bain is, so connected and so well respected everywhere that that was how I found out about the label. But it is funny because Bane, you know, knowing those guys, they had been talking about calling it a day for like Forever. 10 years. Like since <laughs> literally like before the note. Like I remember we we played with them in like 2003 at the church, and they're like, Yeah, like we're gonna probably start winding down. And it wow. took, you know, 13 years. And they did the note and they did those like random seven inches and then and they wanted to do another one of those and i sat down with them i was like guys you you gotta 
you deserve, you know, to go out a little bit bigger. And uh, it gave them another few years. Like uh, it did. And that was a good. That was a good record. I thought. Don't wait up. Yeah, I love it. I thought uh, it was like it's my second favorite after Give Blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Give Blood's my favorite. Yeah. So same. that's kind of how how the whole thing, you know, went off, and it just you know snowballed from there at that point. So, oh, you see, when, when did uh, when did Great Collapse come out? Where was that in? Uh, shortly after that, like probably. That, must that been, was the first time I heard about End Hits. Yeah, that was when Thomas approached me from Strike Anywhere because I, I was in Jersey at that point. Actually, at Kate Hill's house, like at the Bouncing Souls house. Okay. And Thomas called me up. He's like, "Oh, Strike Anywhere is not doing much." Because I was like, "Hey, how about Strike Anywhere and End Hits?" And he was like, we are not doing much, but I have this new project. And I knew a bunch of people already in the band, taught the drummer. And then we did that. And that was another that went really well. That then went over really well in, in Europe, too. And uh, so after that, kind of end, it became the home, the elephant graveyard for <laughs> elderly punk rockers. <laughs> wait, wait, what, what, are, what are you saying? But but like um, geriatric retirement home for elderly punk rockers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of, you did like you then uh, was it? I think about it. Yeah, it was last year. You did the big project with Better Than a Thousand, where um, you know (laughs) to bring it back to Rev. It was like you did this, like the full discography reissuing the individual albums on cd tape lp um like how did that because see what was i remember being surprised when it happened because i was like oh because rev did like a record store day of the first album maybe a couple years ago and then um uh devarishi did value driven Mm -hmm. and then so like how did that end up falling into your lap or or was that something where you were just like we need to get these records out because like the devarishi press was small i think yeah so the funny part is so brian will smirk uh at this a lot i think <laughs> so at some point i'm like i love better than a thousand i love that first record specifically like that's one just like one like very emotionally attached to that record to uh the just one thing and uh, I was like all right that's a ref record and it's always going to be a ref record but value driven at that point was now so I started talking to Ken about it okay like, hey, Ken uh, how would you like re-releasing um, uh, value driven he's like yeah great idea and while we talk something on my Instagram account pops up and it's an advertisement for value driven and Devarishi. <laughs> So I'm having this conversation with Ken and I'm just like, what is this? Like, isn't, didn't we just talk about it? He's like, yeah, yeah, but it's only a small print. And, and I had this, like, I had a bigger vision for it. I was like, all right, it needs you know, not just be a repress. We need to put a little bit more effort into it. And then he was like, yeah, it's only a 500 press. Like we could work on it and remix it and remaster it and so on. And I was like, I knew there were like a bunch of bonus tracks out there. And I was like, all right. If we press it again, value-driven, within two or three years, 
after Deva Rishi did it, we need to make it people like worth people's money. You know, put extra tracks on it and packaging. And that's when he brought up um, also doing uh, just one. If I wanted to release just one, and I was like, uh, of course, I love that record, and it would have it made total sense for the packaging, I imagine. Um, and I was like, are you sure we can do this? And he said, yes, I'm sure we can do this. And so we started working on it. And um, during the process, you know, I was like, hey, this is really important to me that, you know, good vibes only because Revelation Records has been very, very important to me. Like, in, in, like it's been so, it released so much music that means so much to me. And I was like, it, it's, we gotta make sure there's no bad blood anywhere because this needs to be a super positive experience for me. I cannot have any bad blood anymore. <laughs> and then he said he's gonna take care of it. And I don't know, he talked to Jordan about it. I don't know the details, but I just know that there was, despite him talking to them, they were not stoked that End Hits was releasing or re-releasing just one. Even if it was a different version, like it has extra guitar tracks on it, as does Value Driven, and it's remastered and remixed, they were not like stoked about it. And that was a little bit of a, a bummer for me, but I just at some point figured it's out of my hand. You know, I can't do anything about it because I was never in direct contact with Jordan. Like I, I really don't know Jordan. Um, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to focus on making it a great package. We're going to press it once and then that's it. And if it sells out, it sells out and it's sold out. So we Yeah, I was going to say, and so it, it is, it's remixed. So like I, I looked on my shelf, I have like one, two, I think I have five versions of that record, which like, I'm not usually, but like I have the original, like the blue cover, like a Japanese press but I have the Devarishi. No, it's four versions. The Devarishi, then your individual one, and then the the double thing oh, yeah, too. Yeah. But like but the, what? The, so it's remixed. It was remastered, but can also went back and add a guitar because there's some parts that like weren't on the original. Yeah, yeah he went to Schleibaum's the Schleibaum's uh, the Rift Dojo and okay. retracked the guitars. Yeah, especially for. When we worked on uh, Value Driven, we noticed that it sounded super flat. Whatever he had on his hard drive, it sounded super flat and weird with the guitars. And that's when he re-recorded the guitars for the whole thing. Yeah. He re-recorded the guitars for everything on Value Driven? Yeah. yeah. You can okay. tell when you listen. It's like diff it's just different. So it's okay. cool. So like you, like you said, Oisey, it's like on one hand, you know, as purists, I think a lot of people like, you know, like, like I think the best youth of today version of break down the walls is the wishing well one, even though it's not the first one I heard, you know, it, I just think it sounds the best. And what's cool. I think is like, this is different enough where people can get it and it doesn't make your original one obsolete. Like you said, it kind of makes you like, it's a, it's like a, a director's cut almost or whatever you'd call it. You know what I mean? A revisit. So I'm fine with that. And I'm super stoked. And like people, people mostly reacted super positive to it, but it's the first time I ever got hate mail for running. Cool. A label. Like Why? I had, mm. I had because of the people, extra guitar tracks. Like people just literally hit me up. They're like, you fucking capitalist scumbags. 
and this is you know it, it like just like weirdest things i was like what's happening like <laughs> i'm just trying to put something out i think people will like it it got super weird i never had any uh, experience like that ever putting a record out but that why were they so mad crazy. they were just mad because you put out a band artwork. that yeah and hated the artwork and didn't like it compared to the ref cover and just like it's the first time I've been introduced to the very bitter old hardcore dude. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's strange. I can see why maybe someone would like the original cover, but you could still have to, anybody would pick up that record and think whoever put this together, put a lot of time and effort into the artwork for this, you know, cause it looks so, you can tell when something is, when someone oh. spends a lot of time on the art and love. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, as someone who buys records a lot, I look at it as like when these type of things happen, these represses and re new covers, like I get frustrated if I don't have, if there's not easy access to like the original, you know what I mean? Because then it's like, ah, oh, I got, but I think it's easy enough, especially just one, like you can get an original or like even the record store day one from like 2015 or whenever it was. So you can just get this extra version as like a, you know, a, a, comp a compliment to it. Yeah, but I, I think I, I think it's cool. We 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 did when we did um, the repress of um, only the Die Hard Remain. We tried to keep it as close to the original as possible, and I kind of regret that. It's just kind of like, oh, it's you know, I think it maybe cheapens the original a little bit. I don't know. Sometimes it's, it's weird. Cause like I said, I, as someone who buys a lot of records, like sometimes it's nice when the repress, like all that's different is like the color of vinyl, because then it's like, you still have it as it was originally intended. But then, yeah, there's a part where it's like, sometimes it's cool to have, Hey, here's this cover. This is the original. And here's th this one. And I thought the better than a thousand, like it was neat to hear, like, if anything, it was neat to hear these, like, new guitar tracks. Whether or not you think it's better or worse doesn't matter. It's still interesting. Yeah. I mean, it also was, like, it was super successful because we, like, it was just, I was so involved with it, and I, I put so much into it, and we, we did this scene that you guys probably saw that came with it with all the interviews, and I interviewed all the members. That was really, the, and that was another huge selling point for me when I, I ordered it before I before I got to know you, Wizzy. I was like, oh man, it comes with a zine. Because I love print zines. <laughs> so that was just like, I'll do whatever it takes to get yeah. this zine. And, <laughs> and before we talked to Wizzy, I listened to the podcast that interviewed all the individual members. That I was, was awesome. actually going to say, people should I definitely like yeah, listen awesome. to the uh, End Hits uh, podcast with the uh, uh, Thousand and the Be Well. Yeah, and the Be Well. I, I, I wish more people interviewed Graham. I loved hearing Graham land on the podcast. It Same. took a while to get him on the thing. Like he was very reluctant about it. It was it was weird. He, weird he, he, Sorry, Brian. Oh, I was just gonna say he is one of the coolest people to talk to and coolest people I've ever known. Graham Land. I mean, he's, he's just because nobody ever talks to him and. There's no interviews. He's, he was like a mystery man to me. Like I knew nothing about him except for, you know, what you can find and that wasn't a lot. Right. And, uh, you know, it was, I knew Ray and 
be from before because I was a youth of today's tour manager like a bunch of times in Europe. And, uh, but he wasn't involved until the very late stage of the Better Than a Thousand thing. And so he came in at the end and that kind of complicated things for a second because he wasn't involved in a very early process. And then he came in at the end and that can make things complicated sometimes, you know, when somebody hasn't followed the full process, but we worked around it and I think it, it turned out great. I'm super stoked that I did it. And as far as I know, now Ref owns all the rights, like they renewed the contracts for just one and for uh, value driven, I think. And at some point, you know, we just, we sold out of it anyhow, we never gonna repress it, but it was just like a big project for me that was like spiritually very <laughs> um, important to me, just like tying into my own history a little bit. Right, so, oh, go ahead, Brian. Oh, I was just going to say, and just uh, value-driven, they put that out themselves initially. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So when we, when I saw they had a record, their record release for value-driven was actually in Philly uh, at the mm-hmm. Y. It was before, it was in April of 1998. Because um, I used to have the shirt and it had like the date. It was, April, was 20, April 25th. 1998. Yes. I, I will always remember it because it was this incredible show. It was the first Kid Dynamite show. Reach the Sky. Reach the Sky. Judas Factor played. Correct. Um, yeah. Floor, Floor Punch. Punch. And Better Than a Thousand. And Ray, there is video on YouTube if you search it of the, of, I think it's part of the set because it's only like 20 minutes and I feel like they played longer than that. And he says something about like, yeah, so we did what anybody would do when we bootlegged our own record because they wanted to do this second album, but like he was under contract with Roadrunner and Roadrunner, I think wasn't happy. The fact that just one came on Rev and like was doing well. And um, right. so they just put out CD, like the vinyl wasn't in the U S ever. Like it was, the vinyl was I think either in Japan only or something, but like, yeah, it was on a, a CD and um so yeah, it never came out on Rev. So I do wonder now if Rev will do a uh, their own version of it. It's but Oisey, yeah, what's the better better? What's the better better than a thousand record? Just I one or value driven? I think just one is the shit. Go ahead. Because the guitar tone on it is so great, and the, the great guitar playing is so good on that. Yeah, and it's slightly like it's not what you would expect i think he explained it really well in the end it's podcast where he talks about his influences so he's playing on an old school hardcore record but he has these effects he sounds like almost like brian baker on can i say that nasty javier are you already throwing up over there <laughs> so his guitar sounds so amazing very brian baker-ish with all those chorus on it and but he plays it so like it's so creative. His guitar playing is great. And I love the fact that Ray recorded it in one or two takes and you hear his voice breaking. And that, that song nightclub, like when you hear him at the end uh, or my, or apology or what it's called, it's just so raw and so rough. And I think that's just a brilliant snapshot. While value driven might be technically the better record, you know, like it, but it's a little too sticking to the formula. Yes. And just one is just, you know, rough and unfiltered and unedited. I, I thought it was cool that Grant, uh, Graham mentioned 
like the the he was very influenced by like shoegaze stuff too yeah. it like comes out a little bit in the instrumental on just one and yeah just one's very raw um and we've mentioned it before but people kind of forget because now every band has reunited like you've been able to see pretty much every old like rev era band like i can't think i mean we haven't seen side by side, but I mean, the alone, the crowd did side by side and like, you know, inside out haven't played. Right. But the, the fact that like back in 1997, there was no youth of today, like youth of today didn't play like better than a thousand was a big deal because, Hey, they cover, they do a youth of today, take a stand. Right. And it wasn't shelter. Like it didn't, it didn't yeah. exclude anyone. It was just like, here's this fucking hardcore band. Old this school. True yeah. hardcore. Yeah. It's old. Also Remember the, that was the old yeah. school. It was. I think by accident, it came out almost parallel to Beyond Planet Earth. It did. So, like, yeah. because Germany had all these reviews with Better Than a Thousand Here and uh, Shelter Beyond Planet Earth there. Like, they reviewed both of them at the same time, mostly. Yeah, they were both, like, within a couple weeks. It was, like, summer 97. Yeah. So that was, like, my... That was when I really... Like, I started going to shows in 95, but 97 was when I really... Like, that was when I felt like I found the style that would kind of... Like, that whole era of, like, 10-yard fight, In My Eyes... Better than a thousand battery. At that point, we didn't even know about the band until I saw the record in a record store, and I was like, "I can't believe this! This is a thing. What is this?" Again, the weird, the weird, the weird thing for me was I didn't even know it was happening until it was like, "Hey, <laughs> they're taking pictures for this record at the Safari Club or wherever the fuck they're playing yeah. the first show," and I had. I had no, I had no idea about that. Weird. And I don't think, but Graham, I mean, you know, he wrote some, he, he wrote Free Will, which is like one of the best shelter songs. Agreed. Like he's such a underrated, um, underrated uh, songwriter and guitar player. Cause he's not like a self promoter. You know what I mean? He's not like a guy that's out there talking about himself. I don't think people realize like he's like a legitimately, incredible musician yeah he wrote letter to a friend on mantra which i love i love that song too like the music yeah. actually the only thing that bums me out about battery not doing anything more when we had like a brief minute where we were writing new material graham sent me two or three songs that were like i'm like how the fuck were you not writing the whole time i mean he's so fucking good it's crazy but funny thing is it kind of makes sense that value driven was more like here's the playbook because Ken is much more like, this is the formula. Here we go. Kind of guy, um, yeah. which I think it served him well. You know what I mean? There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that like the stuff I was trying to write and the stuff that Graham was trying to write in battery that wasn't in that formula, Ken was just not into it. So, and I've yeah. argued with Jason. Cause like, I, I like value driven more. Um, but I feel like I do wonder if maybe it's because like I was at that record where it could just kind of nostalgic oh, for me. The, but. the just one show, the first better than a thousand show with the chamber of sound. 
that's probably one of the top top five favorite shows that I've ever seen. I love that show for some reason because I just I wanted to see Youth Today so bad and I couldn't see so Youth Today. And Shelter yeah. would play, and I liked Shelter, but then for Ray to come out and have that energy, I mean, there's videos Jason, of the show where I was losing it watching them play. Jason, were you at that? Was it Judge? where shelter came out and played two songs at the safari club no i wasn't there for that god i wish i, I was think there for it was that. that was like the that was like one of my favorite shows ever a similar thing where like they weren't on the bill and i'm pretty sure it was with judge and they just got up and played two songs and it was just like holy fuck this is there's some sick shit went down at the safari club jason did you see yeah. judge when they're original no no i run? didn't i okay. wish i did i missed that stuff by like two years i was gonna say I yeah think. that judge show had the guy from uppercut playing guitar too. Oh, wow. yeah and it was real good it was so I, oh go ahead I'm give you guys two more reasons by the way or one more reason why just one is better on ray Trump, says fuck <laughs> when Ray said, "What the fuck?" I, when I oh, first man. heard that, I was like, "Oh my fucking god!" <laughs> yeah, it was, dude. It was a big deal. Oh, dude, like, Ray I lost swear, it when I heard that. Ray okay, swearing again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ray. Go ahead. If you look at the cover of Just One, Ray is wearing those cut-off Dickies pants. On on Value Driven, they started wearing those sweatpants, and I hated it. <laughs> I I hated those. I hated those pants too. Yeah, those with, with the like, with the little mops that you could rip off on the side. Oh my god! Yeah, because we did. Battery and we did in Europe. They all were wearing the sweatpants except for Brian. I was like, "That's my guy. That's my yeah. guy." The punk. Oh my! <laughs> we did because the last two, the last two battery tours were with Better Than a Thousand, and it was like it, it was a weird scene. Sweatpants. Yeah, yeah. everybody Ray, uh jeff newman ken yeah. graham and ray all I, what was the brand it had like it kappa there or adidas breakaway it wasn't adidas okay kappa was kappa yeah they were yeah. very in like the very, late uh, 90s early break 2000s yeah the the interesting thing for me about touring with better than a thousand was i realized that ray is a entertainer and a performer mm-hmm. you, like i had never been on a tour before where someone had like their things that they say in between songs like kind of choreographed and like everything was like a sh- performance mm. kind of thing which has served him well because he's very he's a great communicator and it's very effective but it was like you know he, at that point he had done shelter they had done all these big tours he like had it down exactly yeah. how everything was going to be every night and i had never really experienced that in hardcore with any bands we had ever toured with um and i i mean i'm not crazy about it but it it was pretty interesting what's funny is the cover of value driven though was taken at that fairless show. show in pa that was taken at pa in pa with um, oh, wow. eyelid. Yeah, because my my friend, oh. Mike Quinn, is on the cover. He did he does a label called No Quarter Records. They don't put out hardcore. He does like uh, Endless Boogie and like all these kind of wild bands. He put out an Earth record and stuff. Um, he's on the front, and he's the guy that looks like he's like 
oh shit, I'm about to get kicked in the head because you know Ray's doing that like yeah. kung fu move, but you know that was just one era, and he was. Just, I, I uh, think I think that they did play. They played a couple shows on that tour because um, Javier, when we were we were talking on um, the Forgive Forget podcast about that showcase. That was the day after the pickle patch. Mm. Um, and I was confused. I, whenever I saw, like, I forgot the better than a thousand that we played at showcase with them twice. That wasn't the rev. That wasn't the rev tour. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually, when we stayed with the guy from no doubt that was on the rev tour. So I think anyway, but um, pickle, but that tour, that tour was awesome though. That I mean that was the first fight. that was the first tour that I ever went on was I roadied quote unquote with uh, for the living and they opened up for those shows it was battery ten yard fight and then some shows linked up with better than a thousand who was in who was uh, in for the living Dave Bird uh, John Hennessy speaking of I literally just bumped into John Hennessy outside my house five five minutes before I hopped on yes the yes bit of bow John Hennessy John. <laughs> John booked a lot of shows at uh, Chamber of Sound with Martin. I mean, all the shows I went to when I was in high school, John. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a name yeah. I knew. And was Dave Dave Bird? Did he drum for them? D- or Dave something? Bird was the drummer up until the full length, and then Andrew Black. Oh no, Andrew Black played drums on the full length, and then Pat Broderick from Majority Rule played drums on the tour they went on. Yeah, Mike Stankovich is a guitar player, same guitar player for Striking Distance. So okay. it was Striking Distance was Dave Bird singing and Mike playing guitar and for the living was Dave playing drums and Mike playing guitar. Okay. And that came out on good fight in Europe. Good life. Yeah. What are you saying? I'm going to go pee real quick while you guys talk about a band I've never heard before. <laughs> you know what? Oh, I'm yeah. going to do the same. What? Uh, I, 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 no, well, just cause I'm just, well good... since, okay, go ahead. But I'm going to take, so Brian, tell us about yeah. how you hooked up with Oise to do the, uh, be well record. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, the Aaron Dahlbeck always was really close with Oise because they had done the Bane record. And from the very beginning, he was like, dude, I want end hits to do it. I want end hits to do it. I want end hits to do it. And Oise kept telling him that he was too busy and that he didn't have time. And he's afraid that if he didn't do a good job, we would um, not be happy. Yeah. And Aaron was saying to him, your worst job would be any other label's <laughs> best job. Um, and, uh, but then I never met Oise until um, they were looking for pictures for the Better Than a Thousand re-releases. Okay. And my wife, Minu, had come on a bunch of the Rev Tour and had a ton of Better Than a Thousand photos. So I emailed the info at end hits email and Oise wrote me back. And that's how we started talking, which is crazy because I feel like we've known each other our whole lives. I mean, that's, he's like been the best partner you could imagine for, yeah. for be well. Yeah. So, Oise, I just yeah. asked like 40 years ago. It's crazy. What'd you say? Brian, we should have been friends. 30 years ago. <laughs> I know it's crazy. We just, it's, I was just saying it was, Oitsi, the first time you and I t- talked was when I emailed you about the better than a thousand photos, yeah. right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And then Aaron, Aaron's just kept hitting Oisey up and just, I got to give it to, it's funny. I love Aaron Dahlbeck because I hate asking anyone for anything. I hate asking for favors. I don't like pitching people on things. And Dahlbeck is just like, he's like, just doesn't give up. And he just would not take no for an answer from Oisey and just kept, kept after him. Yeah, the problem was that we had a release scheduled at the same time that you guys wanted to put the record out. And uh, I was like, Delbeck's a really dear friend of mine. And I'm like, I'm not going to half-ass anything for a, with any band, but this, especially not if my good friends are involved. You know, and I was so, yeah. I was such a massive Battery fan that I didn't want to fuck it up. And then luckily that band that was supposed to release a record didn't, you know, wasn't ready at that point. And that opened up the window. And I gotta give it to uh, Equal Vision. At that point, they were like pretty far in the process of putting it together, but they were so open to all the suggestions and, you know, different cover artworks and everything. And uh, we were still uh, allowed to, you know, have a big say in the creative side of things, which was great. Huge, huge. The cool thing that happened with the cover art, um, with the two different covers was, that we had John Yates, who did the art for, I mean, the layout for the record had already done a couple options that we, we liked. So that version that, that Oisey chose actually, I loved that cover and um, it already kind of existed somewhat. Right. Oisey. Yeah. Yates had right? already a bunch of options. And the funny part is that in the end, the vinyl colors Ref chose for their version of the Be Well record and the ones we chose and the merch ended up uh, like the Ref, ver uh, the EBR version, sorry, is so dark. You're getting, you're getting the mix, the uh, releases mixed up now. <laughs> <laughs> but the Be Well album on EBR, everything that uh, EBR did turned out to be very dark, darker cover you know dark merch dark vinyl colors and ours is very bright and very yeah lovely. i love that like, just like both labels represented a different side of that release on different oh, i didn't side. know the covers were different i only have the evr one i think it's yeah oh, yeah it would be evr i don't, you don't yeah the, the, oh yeah no mine's i think mine's hold on <laughs> You guys will have to do a lot of editing while a lot of old men walk over. <laughs> have a record or go pissing. <laughs> How is like I could have done so many other things today. What am I doing here? Like <laughs> I could have listened to Food for Worms for once, you know. Yes. Like, for the first time. No, just kidding. No, I, 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 I Oisey, what what I appreciate about your label is that a it's like international right you have european artists you have a mix of reissues you have current things you have tapes cds dvds skateboards like me you know i have a record label yeah exactly i was actually just looking at those on the web store i'm like do i need to order this right now because i'm going to admit something i have not heard better than a thousand since 1997 maybe like i just I, it just wasn't I, I heard it when it came out and i was like i'm not into this right now you're like they're not wearing enough eyeliner yeah there's where's eight. the breakdowns this is not in drop b i can't listen to this right now <laughs> right um 
So like my label, I, I try to focus on cassettes. That's like my thing. I love cassettes, shirts, and weird little things like we made integrity rubber coin purses. But you have such like a, a widespread of things that you've been involved with with your label. And I think that that's really cool. And um, it, it's like something to offer everyone. Old school boy sets fire fans, stick to your guns fans, people who maybe were a fan of, you know, um, battery and they're like, oh, this singer has a new band. Like, let's check that out. There's such a uh, an array of things and your reissues with shelter downset. Like, it's not just you don't have a I don't want to say you don't have a lane, but it's like you're not afraid to kind of step out and and do different things. I think Brian and I talked about it. Like there's a common thread going through all of things. Like they sound like they should not be on a label together. Like they probably mm -hmm. would make much sense, but they do for some reason. Like a German singer songwriter, like Matze Rossi, that you guys never heard about makes as much sense as be well. Like those two things together, if you carefully look at it, is it, it, it makes sense, I think. And the thing but is I that think that, that that like J Tree back in the day, or even the Rev in the college, you know, at the beginning of the college years, like it was like that as well. Like you would have Strike Anywhere and Kid Dynamite on a show with Jets to Brazil and it just totally oh, those are some of my favorite on. shows too. <laughs> yeah, like you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't think twice about it. Well the thing I will oh. say say about Oisey and end hits that I think a lot of people that aren't putting records out don't totally understand. Like for me, the most valuable thing about Oisey being like part of the Be Well team is that I like trust him and he's helped us make really good decisions. Like he really cares and he will get involved heavily if it's needed, but he then doesn't micromanage things that he doesn't need to be involved with and so for me as like a creative person that has like a vision and a way that I want my music and my band to exist in the world he's like the ideal partner because if I need advice or I need to make a tough decision or I need to figure out what songs make sense together or what kind of thing he's like the I can turn to him and I can make that decision with him and feel great about it but then he's not sitting there trying to change the band or market, you know, push us into a, a realm of things that like we don't want to do and doesn't make sense. And I think that um, for me, it's like, I'm not so worried about like getting the records. I know that that's hard and not easy or the promotion, but just having a, like a perfect example in the Be Well record, the biggest song on the record, EVR didn't want on the record. And Eve and Oise came in and not only did he want the song on the record, but he wanted it to be the first single. And it's like, that was what a song, huge- What song, Confessional? Confessional, yeah. What? Which you made a, a, a flexi They didn't want of. it on the record? I mean, you I don't want to talk trash. Yeah, they, they, thought it sound, they thought it sounded like thrice. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Yeah, but Oise came in and was like, we, it was like, this should be the first song. Let's do a flexi. Let's do this. And it was just like, oh, yeah. And that's why for me, like, I mean, as long as he'll have me, I will never make music <laughs> anywhere else. Yeah. Well, Oise, good. I mean, that's, that song is so fucking good. I don't know. Yeah. 
different you know, strokes, well, I guess. Sometimes, but I think you also have, I think what you'd kind of realize over time is that, um, is that, you know, a, a label like DVR has like, they have a lot, the, the people that are signing the bands maybe like love this stuff and be into it. But some of the younger people probably, don't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to them. I think that was kind of what, where we hit um, a roadblock there, yeah. if you will. But yeah. they're, they're wonderful people. <laughs> but Brian hit the nail on the head with the when you say Chaitri, that's the inspiration. Ref yeah. revolution, the ref in flight compilation, that's what I want N hits to be. Like that CD, when I listen to that thing front to back, that's what I like. If I look back in 10 years on N hits, I wanna I wanna be able to say I did something similar to the uh, location is everything simpler that Chaitri did and uh, the in-flight program. All those things well, if, that musically don't make a lot of sense if you look at them individually, but together it, it paints a picture where punk rock is more than uh, a certain aspect of that scene. It's like way more open. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I it's funny for my other pod, I just did an interview with um, Ken Stringfellow of the Posies and... I know him from Lagwagon when that two-minute Yep, yeah. Lagwagon, Big Star, REM. And he said he loved playing on the varied bills. And I guess that's, you know, same idea with the compilation because, like, you go to a show and you don't necessarily, like, it's like going to a restaurant. You, you, you want a different course each time. You don't just want someone coming out and giving you, you know, the same meat, you know, the same food over and over again. Like, you want to have, you know, your meal needs to have you know, some vegetables, some proteins and this some that. Whereas just like, you know, if you're getting all of the same thing, it's kind of like it, it can, it can kind of make it tough to stand out. Like he just said like how he loved, like, yeah, they would play with, you know, I mean, he said they played a show with uh great white once some <laughs> fair, like, you know, stuff like that. But like, they were like, yeah, we love it. Like it's still, you know, whatever. But before I guess we wrap up, um, I know we have mentioned the downset. You know, we've mentioned it on here. Uh, the shelter, uh, 20 summers pass. So I'm assuming you built up enough of a relationship with, uh, you know, Ray and uh, Purcell even, where, you know, you have the, the 20 summers pass, which I still have people being like, yo, that, you know, the double vinyl version with the <laughs> pop-up altar um, yeah. just looks incredible and i think one of the things that i love about you is i can tell and this is what i same thing with you know to give a little plug like joe at hell minded um you can tell when a label's like run by someone that genuinely loves music and loves record collecting and loves you know the whole process like it's not just about like oh, i'm gonna put out this record because like it's cool but like i'm gonna make money and um you have another shelter project in the works. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, um, that's an odd one because with 20 Summers, I was like, when it came out, like I really liked the record and I loved it. And then shortly after that, Porcel left the band and they did another record called The Purpose, The Passion. And Ray asked me when we talked about 20, shell, uh, 20 Summers, if we also want to put out Purpose, and that was a record I have not listened to at all when it came out. 
So it was a little odd for me because usually I go by the rule, like I gotta, I gotta love the thing a hundred percent. Like we are getting so many requests right now, especially after the shelter from older bands. If you want to put out their discographies, you know, and those are great bands and, you know, but if I don't feel it a hundred percent, like, or 110%, I can't do it. Like that's the thing because I'm, so much work goes into it. But with that Shelter record, it was a slightly different because I didn't feel the record as much as I did with 20 Summers, but I knew that we could do a great job uh, rewriting history for that one because I think it sticks out uh, so much from the rest of the catalog. And it was mismanaged at that point. <laughs> yeah. In terms of artwork goes, and I knew we could do a great job and give it a better better spot in the in the lineage of the of the band so i'm so i'm holding a copy in my hands here um and you're absolutely right like this is it went from being like a record like just let's say let's forget about what's on the record most people that collect records especially if you're collecting different versions it's not like it's not like you're listening to five versions of the same record like you maybe play one and whatever but uh you know, this, it just looks so nice. And um, yeah, there's no Porcel on this album, which is kind of weird, but I think it really, it elevates it to be like a, an essential own. If you're a Shelter fan and you have the other records, like you're going to want to get this one. So what, what, I don't even know about this record. What, what is it called? <laughs> uh, it's the, per so this one is the, per it's the purpose to passion. So what happened was shelter. My understanding is 20 summers past was supposed to be their last record. Like, okay. like, like Ray was like, okay, like we're going to do this and it's going to be done. And then Porcel quit. Cause I think he, at that point he was starting a family and, um, he quit and then somehow, I don't know if it was something where like Shelter just got offered to do another record and it was kind of like, well, may as well. So the lineup on this is literally Ray on vocals, all guitar and bass by someone named Supergrass. Uh, and then Dave DeCenso drums. Wow. But, but like... Ken it was, recorded it actually. Ken recorded it January, February, 2001. Um, but this is a remaster as well. It's got photos, uh, the live photo from Danielle Dombrowski. Um, it's got a die cut cover. Did we ever figure out who Supergrass is? Uh, it's, he's, he was somebody in that. So there was that weird lineup of shelter when it was his wife at the time. I think it was his wife. And I apologize if, if it wasn't his wife. Um, yeah, Shree. Shree. Yeah. I think they yeah. were married. Um, they were. And then yeah. uh, Supergrass. And I think Sean Sellers from Good Riddance and Downcast. But in Downcast, Sean I think he never drummed. With them. He never, he joined the band and then quit the band because he thought he's going to play for Bad Religion. Mm. And he didn't Whoa. get that big. That's a nice... That's not even Shinfo. That's just good old info. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's weird. Like this is a, it's also, you can Who put tell, that out? Uh, originally it was um, Super Soul and I want to say like Media. Good good Life or Century yeah. Media, right? Century Media, yeah. And um, it's like pop punky. 
like from what I remember, I listened to it for the challenge. Yeah, I, um, I, I think that was the one where I was like trying to, it was hard to find a hot track on that for me. I think um, that I think that no one gave a hot track. Yeah. You know what? Uh, looking on the Discogs page, it says that there was three videos around this time. Oh, wow. Also, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. It's a weird record. Like if I look at it now, like because I, I went over it and I was like, uh, because I was kind of a little torn apart if I should really put this out. But then um, Ray asked me if, like, and I was like, yeah, there's, I know there's demand for it. People want it. Sure. And I think there's demand for it in terms of putting it into the right context mm-hmm. as a, a shelter record because the old artwork is awful. Like, got to be honest about it. Sorry. Minimo, Linus Garces. Yeah. It looked, well, it looked, it looked is, appropriate on a flyer. Yes. For yeah. a flyer, so, it looked great. So I want to clarify because Linus is a friend and I love his artwork. Yeah. But yeah, yeah the, what but they as did a cover, is yeah. he had a flyer. It was a flyer for like, like Mouthpiece, Mouthpiece Union, right? No Justice. Count Me Out played also. Yeah. This was and, the No Justice last show, which you should watch on YouTube if you haven't seen. Oh my I'm God, sure you it's have. incredible. But yeah. they basically like zoomed in on a part of that flyer and that's the cover. And again, it would it would make sense for any other band, but for a shelter artwork, it's not good. It's Doesn't not fitting at all. I agree. And They're it was almost, the same thing with Twenty Summers Pass. Yeah. Also, yeah. not a good, not good artwork. Both versions, the Victory version and the Century Media version, were both not great. So I I like that we put it into uh, like we repackaged uh, the purpose. It, I like that we remastered it for vinyl and it sounds good. And I checked it out, and I would have felt better about it if it was wasn't a shelter record. If it, Ray would have called it something else, then I would probably you know in the shelter discography it's not my favorite one, but I think it now has a better spot and there's uh, there's more of a consistency to it. And I actually enjoyed listening to it. Like yeah. I, I, I got over the initial, it's just so different from everything else. If you thought yeah. Beyond Planet Earth is different, this is way, way more different than Beyond Planet Earth. But I mean, that's one of the things that was cool about Shelter is it was always different in some way. You yeah. know what I mean? I think that's, it's like they're a band that did, they didn't ever just kind of stick to the, the, the format really. You know? No two so, Shelter albums sound the same and you know Raghunath has even said even within that record itself there's mm-hmm. like like listen to Mantra it's got like Beyond you know, Planet Earth yeah straight up hardcore songs Industrial. and then it has like so the interesting thing and I always kind of wondered this is that I know Ray writes a lot of that music by humming it to people mm. like what he, and so because he's every one of those records has different people interpreting his humming, <laughs> his, his humming. I think that probably does lean itself to um, uh, that the records just kind of being different by nature. Yeah. I will say but, that he has, he, he has a really good um, underutilized melodic voice. Like I feel like for what he's trying to do, like he can, he can sing. I, I think, I mean, yeah, yeah I want, I want to hear, you know, the growls, obviously like that's like, you know, but at see, the- I think we're the opposite. The growl to me as I've gotten older has seemed a little, a little bit like, you know, a put on a little bit after Dude. the early, 
you know, um, but, but, but I'm trying I to think like of the it. record where he sounds like my favorite as far as his vocals. And it's gotta be that youth of today disengage. Yeah. Uh, that's, that, 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 that's his, that's, I think his, I think he sounds so like raw and real. And actually your podcast where they're talking about him doing it, like with the handheld mic and everything, like yeah. I feel like you can, you can feel the, that, that yeah. disengaged seven inches just amazing. But to Oise's to, to point, like, I think that it's good that this is available again. And now it looks like it looks like it should have looked in 2001. Um, and I think it will allow people maybe because it even looks different to put it on the turntable and give it another shot. I mean, I'm going to do the same thing. Um, well, Shelter also is a really super important band. And I think honor, honoring that discography and for people that have collected it all to have that last record. Agreed. Appropriately yeah. put out totally makes sense, I think. They actually have totally. one after this, too. Oh, they really? One after this? Yeah, they have, they have one uh, in 2006 called The Eternal um, that Ken did, Ken plays on. I think that one is Dave Desenso and Drums. I could be wrong. Uh, Hav, if you want to quick do a discogs check, I while think you're talking. correct. I um, was actually just looking at uh, doing some internet sleuthing. Uh, Supergrass on discogs is has an alias of Johansson, Dave Johansson, Daniel Johansson, which is also the name of a member of the band Shiny Toy Guns. Uh, Are they which, from? Uh, no, but they had a, a. They were kind of a like. Like, what do they sound like? Metric kind of that, like, like a girl singer and like keyboards and stuff. And that record came out in 2002, which was a year after. Uh, so it's possible that Shelter and Shiny Toy Guns had the same member. The, the internet may never know. Someone let us, yeah, someone let us know. <laughs> yeah. Rug, I know Ruganoff listens. Ruganoff. Yeah, holler at us. Uh, Eternal, uh, 2006. And it says that it was Dave DeCenso, Tom Knowlton, and uh, Connor Logan, Ken Olden, um, engineered by Jeff Kanan. Um, yeah, and uh, not a whole lot of other. That was on Good Life. Or good Life and is. Reality yeah. Records. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that one you can still find, so I don't think. I don't yeah. think it needs to be reissued, but Oisey, real quick before we before we wrap up, there's also, um, and I guess we can cut this out if it's not supposed to be. Oh, it can be in there, no problem at all. Okay, all so isn't something else coming out in in sort of in tandem with this record that I think will also kind of enhance the whole experience um, with Shelter? Yeah, simultaneously to the purpose, the passion, we will release an anthology of Porcel's uh, War on Illusion fan sayings. Like the, he did three issues of those and we're compiling it into one book, our man here, Javier, <laughs> interviewed, Por, interviewed Porcel. Um, and it's uh, the only thing that we changed about it. So there's a foreword, like an interview, Javier and uh, uh, Porcella talking about the scene, about Krishna core, about everything around it. And then after the interview, we are like, uh, just re uh, what's the word? Like we're just reprinting the scenes as they were, the right. issues. With ads and all. Yeah, ads and all, which you love. I know you do that. I heard I that do. in the 
burn episode. So we leave everything in the weird ads for Prima, all the interviews with Snapcase, all the, you know, spiritual things, the cooking recipes, everything's in there. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And it looks, I got to see the, um, the, we got to see the, like the PDF. So it looks yeah. awesome. Like yeah, looks that, those zines are really cool. I, I, I'm lucky enough to have, uh, I have a, cu- gift, a couple issues gifted some, some, I think I have all three issues. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to give the third one. I said I was going to give it to Parmananda, but now I guess I don't have to, cause he, he'll get the book. So yeah. <laughs> he, he doesn't have any of the issues, of course. Yeah. Yeah. He cause I was going to, I was going to bring him and I had it and then we, we didn't get to link up. The last show I saw was still shelter. I haven't been yeah. to a show since. And, um, then I didn't get to, but now that there's this book, he'll get to, cause I think he just, he just wanted to see, like, he wasn't about like having like, Oh, I need to have this, but I think he wanted to see it. He hadn't seen it in 25 years or whatever. We were a little conflicted because there's two ways to go about it. You can either reprint it. I think that's how the XXX book was done right on bridge nine. Um, I, I didn't. Oh, see that, that thing is insane and like insane because it has the reprints but the way they did the book they also have side margins with like all new interviews and um you know people kind of looking back at so Mike, um like put a lot of work into it like Gita, i think he really worked hard on it yeah but then we decided to go for the real retro uh true to the original just to give it the i think it, it's just a better approach uh, adding too much to it I mean, the anti-matter book, what Norm did there was interesting, but it also missed a lot of the original stuff. Like yes, I agree. Remember that the, his little four words, like I'm on the bus mm-hmm. to Buffalo, I haven't eaten in three days, I'm listening to Sunny Day Real Estate. Those things were all edited out. Just yeah. really in there. I and was I, very like bummed out when that book came out. No offense to Norman. I mean, the book's cool. Yeah. But like I wanted... Because I had a couple oh. of the zines and I wanted um, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, not- I think. Go ahead, Brian. The, ad, the ads and the old reviews and all that stuff. I mean, that stuff is like my fa- some of my favorite stuff. Yeah. It's like cooler sometimes than the interviews, I think. I, yeah. I mean, like my first thing I do when, because people now literally that like they know that I like zines, they're like, hey, I, I have this like, you know, this trunk full of zines, you want them? I'm like, yeah, you know, especially for researching for the pod and, um, you know, all this stuff. And the first thing that I do is go to the reviews because I love seeing oh, yeah. the reviews of like what people thought at that moment in time when it was new, when it didn't have a chance to like become a thing. Like, like this zine I was looking at recently had like, it reviewed like Jawbreaker, Dear You. So it was like, you know, these indie zines fell out like the major, yeah, Seaweed, uh, Span Away and Into Another. And it was like kind of cool to read like the perspective of people in 1995. Also, and, like the, if you look at the Warrior Illusion one, it has the, and Javier brought it up in the interview, it has an ad for a compilation that's about to come out, a War on Illusion CD comp. They yeah. never see the light of day. And those things are just like full on great nuggets. I, I love that stuff. Like, yeah. and I think that staying true to that was, or is the right choice. Like it's, I, I agree. It's being printed right now as we speak. And I think both things are going to go up for pre-order within the next weeks. Nice. Um, it's just like, 
like it's no secret like everybody's so bored about talking about vinyl but you know the shelter vinyl is ready but half of the pressing got destroyed while we shipped it <laughs> oh my god and now we got to replace all the covers or half of the covers but uh we're gonna put it up for pre-order very soon on awesome. Rev, and the and hood store of course if you like shelter this record you need to get it like i said i have the pleasure of having it in my hands and uh it looks great and the book i i can't wait to to see the book in person yeah same i'm so excited and um it was like a scene like it's gonna be it stays like it's gonna be a very thick scene with a thick you know outer cover but then inside we go for the raw rough paper as well to give it that 90s feel and stay true to that feeling like when you pick it up was so was war and illusion did they also have and i i, I could look for my pot you know my sack of zines but didn't they have that really cool ad for mantra on the back cover was that yes. war and illusion where it's like the uh and it's like uh it's a black and white obviously but it's like mm-hmm. um super cool ad that i've never seen there's before. a um there's one for beyond planet earth that has lord varaha holding the the mace um, it looks great. In that might be life. might be what you're thinking of. No, and then there were so it might be it might have been then a different might have been the equal vision. No, some zine where part. it's like Krishna. It's like a little Krishna like blowing the. Uh, it's like wind I, I, or something. I, maybe I'm. Yeah, it's in there. It's definitely in the one hundred percent. Yeah. So essential uh, stuff. So end hits records, man. Yes. Plus beatbacks. Who doesn't need a new beat bag with a shelter? <laughs> oh, is there going to be new bead bags for this one too? We have a few left from the 20 summers one that we, that we're going to put up with this one because a lot of people were like, can I just get the beat bag? And we're like, if there are any left after uh, 20 summers done, we're going to put them online and now we're going to do that. Nice. That's, that circles back to Javier's. What do you guys not do? Like we also do skateboards, we did tapes, we did weird flexies, and we also did a beat bag. That's gotta be the weirdest merch item we ever printed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, Oisey, thank you so much. Brian, thank you for yes. hopping on. Um yes. I just figured with the with the be well anniversary of the album. And yeah. with the shows coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah, shows. and and I sent I sent you guys a, a, a photo last night. Did you share it with Javier? I, I was at the Where It Went convention. Yes, Hav, last I night. <laughs> yeah, I'll show you the picture. I, it was great. Yeah, I, 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 I I bumped into uh, a fellow uh, fan of the pod oh, who nice. had his embrace shirt on, and oh. I had my embrace shirt on, <laughs> and we, we we I took a very uncharacteristic selfie, and uh, since to to the guys yeah can we share that or no (laughs) sure that's fine (laughs) it's really cool also i learned from the show ted lasso that if you take a selfie with another person it's an ussy an ussy (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) so wait so if 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 i hopefully meet oisey in the flesh Yes. Take a picture. It would be an ussy with oisey. Ussy with oisey. Yes. I hope so. An ussy with oisey. Yeah. Oh my nice. god! Yeah, Thanks so much for having me. Like I, I know I told you guys a million times before, but I love the the podcast so much. Like it's yeah, I do much too. daily on. Like every time I listen to it and a new episode comes out, I'm just like, I I 
so many of my memories, despite the fact that we grew up like thousands of miles apart and uh, uh, we might all have very different cultural upbringings, but the, the fact that this is tying so many different people all around the world together is mind blowing. And every time I listen to the, to the podcast, I'm like reminded of how magical music is like it sounds cheesy yeah. but it's just yeah it's, it's i can't i can't follow up after that yeah. anyway so thank you <laughs> thank you yes well thank, thank you, you guys for 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 letting me hop on thank and you always thank you, you're always yeah. welcome okay dude thanks right. bye always see we'll talk this week see all all right. Right. Bye-bye, bye-bye. 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 all right all right all right uh,